You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello and welcome to another edition of Global Trade This Week. It's brought to you by Cap Logistics. I am one of your hosts. My name is Doug Draper. I won't even say Intermountain West because that's where I am, but my co uh, co-host, partner in crime, out on the East Coast, Mr. Pete Mento. Pete, I got to love the coffee cup. I'm not sure if I should ask uh, questions about it or not. So I'll just say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. And you can ask me all the questions you want. Doug, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a loving man. You know, yes. in my old age, I've decided that I don't carry grudges anymore. So yeah. Nice. It's all good. But, you know, let other people be angry. It's on them. Yeah. It's on them. But yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, did you do anything fun this weekend, Doug? I mean, it is Monday. Nope. It is Monday. It's Halloween week. Um, I think our half times are both focused around this uh, wonderful holiday. So we'll, we'll dive are. into that. But to answer your question, no, I've been uh, out of town the last three weekends. So rake leaves, sat on my tail and uh, enjoyed uh, a pretty nice weekend. How about you? Uh, I, I did stuff i mean you know my, my sundays are, are kind of generally the same I, we get up early we go to church we go have breakfast and that is it is a wonderful part of my week like it's one of the things that i i love the consistency of it some time alone um our heathen children don't come with us so you know we um we get some time to just talk alone and not be interrupted and uh, that was very nice and uh nice. i I got to spend some time with uh, youngest daughter. Uh, it, it was it was wonderful. So it was a good weekend. But you know, you talked about raking and everything, Doug. There are a lot of things about living in a high rise that suck. One of the things that does not is not having to rake leaves and um, nice. and shovel yeah. snow. It does. Oh, I the do snow! <clears throat> I For hate sure. it, man. I hate it. So on the breakfast, are you a, a, a bacon or sausage guy or uh, a little of each? Oh, I have very strong feelings on this topic. So um, I'm a man that really does care deeply about breakfast meats. And um, <laughs> yeah. it, it, goes, it goes very simply. It goes bacon first. Bacon is, bacon is the Zeus. You know, it is the, it is the high holy of breakfast meats. Followed, in my opinion, and, and I, th this is, this is going to cause a stir, but sausage patties. I'm a patties mm -hmm. guy. Always been a patties guy. It's because I'm a farm boy, and that was you know Jimmy Dean sausage is, um, it's something of legend to me. After that, I'm a big fan of of the Irish rashers, the um, the English bacon, the bacon yeah. that you get over there. I think it's fantastic. And then ham. I love breakfast ham. With scrambled mm. eggs or with fried eggs, I think it's fantastic. One of my, I just got to look from Amy as she was walking to the. Uh, one of my favorite things for lunch when I'm in the UK is two fried eggs with a ham steak and chips. I with a couple of beers. If you want to mm. see the happiest guy on earth, happy. And you know what? If you take the chips away, it's low carb, so I can feel good about that. Yeah. Um, when I when I eat that, but uh, Doug, let me guess. Nice. Um, are you like granola? <clears throat> and yogurt with with some with some berries in there, you know that that nope. that, uh, that Keenan is probably eating like pebbles and um, pine Rocks tar. Rocks and twigs. Yeah, eat some pine tar, colon blow. Yeah. That's probably what no, he's doing. No, no, 
Pete, we're Midwest. I grew up in Kansas. I was uh, over at my brother's house yesterday and they made soup. And um, my niece, who's like in third grade, so you can say just outlandish shit to them and they're not sure whether that you're serious or not. So she asked me, she, she said, Uncle Dougie, do you like vegetables? And I said, if they're made out of meat, I do. And I just turned, I just turned around with my bowl of soup. And I think she was just super confused about that comment. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Are you I'll a bacon guy? Do you love the bacon? I'm good either way. But I'm, I, oh. I will agree with you. The thing with patties is they just cook nice. Links, they just roll around too much. And then you burn one side and you're like, shit. But it's yeah. still sausage, so you, you eat it anyway. Yeah, I, I love, I absolutely love eggs, and I could, I could eat them a couple of times a day. And farm fresh eggs, in particular, ones that you just got, you know, they were just laid recently. I'm nice. just a monster fan. Well, I, you know what's really, you know, what's very similar to farm fresh eggs is logistics and supply chain. Um, so I. I don't think anyone watches. I don't think anything watches this show for our actual hot takes. I think they actually watch it for the banter and the crap that we yeah. send back and forth to each other. So Very that's true. fine. That's fine. So Very let me true. let me start the show off with my first topic. So yeah, go for uh, it. I live in a house um, where I am generally the only male that's hanging around here. So mm-hmm. on any given weekend. I'm going to have, uh, you know, Amy's here. I'll have the two daughters and then even the pets are female. So, um, that means the need, the, the necessity for constant deliveries of packages from e-commerce. And we talk about e-commerce a lot, Doug, and we talk about how it gets here. We talk about the, the routes that they're going, the conveyances, warehousing. We talk about, but one of the things we don't spend a lot of time talking about is the packaging. And I am really frustrated with the completely lazy, environmentally unfriendly, waste of space, expensive, pointless packaging that I am getting from across the board. You know, people like to joke about how Amazon will use a, a package, piece of package is five times too large for what's inside. They'll joke about how the, you know, the Mylar outside bubble wrap of something will have what's akin to like a button on, I, you know, I understand all that. But when you're, you're talking about the safety and security of what's inside, we're, we're about to face everybody's favorite part of the year if you're in cargo security, which is porch pirate season, you know, mm-hmm. the ability for people to just shake and bake on what's the inside of it, break through the tape and be able to pick up very quickly what's in the inside of these boxes, ascertain if they should steal it and walk away from it. There's no package security aside from it. The amount of money that people would be able to save on space, the amount of money they'd be able to save on moving things from one point to another, why they have not hired just a coven a cadre, the Navy SEALs, if you will, of packaging consultants to come into the Amazons, the Alibabas of the world, uh, the Walmarts of the world and say, here's a machine that can package to suit and get this thing where it needs to be without wasting a lot of extra material and extra time eludes me, Doug. And it Mm -hmm. makes me nuts because of all the cardboard that we're recycling that honestly, man, it doesn't need to be. And it's a waste of time and money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100% 100% agree. <clears throat> We've uh, broached the topic in the past, not not too in-depth, but 
there are packaging companies out there um, that are willing to talk about their services. The thing that baffles me, the Amazons, the Wayfarers, you name it, why don't they embrace it? I mean, every single person that you talk about or look on Facebook or whatever has a photograph of something they ordered in a gigantic box, right? Yeah. Even if it's just the, the PR potential with this, yes, the carbon footprint will be reduced. Transportation will be more effect, effective with <clears throat> putting more packages in a truck as it goes down the road for the delivery. It, it is, it, it's baffling to me why somebody, a big player has not embraced the uh, potential out there for, for marketing and improvement with our carbon footprint. It, it's, it's baffling. It's the same old school box. Yeah. Um, so Let me just add on to that, Doug. You know, my time at Wayfair, there were there were two things that really struck me about working there that that I I loved. One of them was just how much we loved our suppliers, and just how far they were willing to go to make a customer happy. You know, and when you're moving furniture, things break. They break a lot. That's one of the problems of being in that business. Is it, it tends to be it's wood. A lot of the times it's lacquer, it's plastic. And when you're moving it, you're, that's why logistics companies don't want to move furniture and home goods. So we were constantly dealing with returns. We were constantly dealing with trying to make up for the fact that things broke. And I can tell you as a consumer, we've all been there, right? You wait for a package, you're excited to get it and you open it. And for whatever reason, you know, what you ordered isn't the right size. What you ordered was not what you expected. What you ordered was not, it doesn't come intact. It's broken. There's pieces missing. It is, it's, it's upsetting. And it makes you say, you know, this is why I wish I could still go to the X store and mm -hmm. buy it or do Bopus, Doug, or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, be able to have that retail experience because I feel let down as a consumer. But it's crushing when you get something and it's broken. You know, you're like, damn it, you know, and now I've got to, I've got to wait another couple of days or a week or who knows to get another one of these things. So it's a problem with claims to problem with insurance to problem with client satisfaction. Somebody should jump on top of this and make the investment and make it work. And you're right, Doug, you've talked about it in the past. I'm bringing it up again because clearly I'm, everything I do is derivative of Doug Draper. Uh, so, you know, um, someone needs to do something about this because it's, it's beginning to sour the customer experience and, and yeah. someone needs to do something about it. Well, we'll have uh, a good two months to uh, size up our packaging. Uh, no pun intended. So we'll keep oh, that, Doug. Keep that Doug. going. Doug, how many times? <laughs> let me do the jokes, Doug. All right. Let me do the jokes. All right. What do you got for us, buddy? Uh, this one is something that caught my attention and part of me was excited about it. And then part of me, like we so often do, Pete is just tear it apart <laughs> and talk about the um uh the, the futility of it so this is uh, about the dot and the port infrastructure development program um i'm sure there's an acronym that i missed in there that's all fuddy-duddy but um my whole point in this one is i think the public uh, and private partnerships really need to flourish with some of the uh infrastructure both port and terminal um air ocean uh, inner, uh, inner waterways. Um, <clears throat> there is money out there. So here, here's some statistics. There's 41 projects that the DOT has thrown some money at 22 different States, $703 million. Well, when you basically, here's where we start poking fun at it, Pete. 
if you break it down, that's basically seven, $17 million per project. And wow. if you haven't figured out that you can barely buy a house anymore for like a million dollars in any major market, right? So uh, in the big picture, if you average it out, 17 million is not a whole lot of money. Now, not every project gets 17 million. Some are getting a lot more. And, and I get that. Um, when I was looking at some of the larger projects, two of them are related to essentially marshalling yards on, on the, the coast out there. One is actually in Salem, Massachusetts. The other one's outside of New York. And it's a new facility that's exclusively designed to uh, deal with uh, offshore wind energy products. Bring it in here. We'll assemble it and ship it out. It has nothing to do with the core port and infrastructure that you and I live and breathe every single day. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, 700 million bucks seems like a lot dispersed over 41 projects. But those two projects I just mentioned, Pete, represent a little over 12 percent of that 700 million. So 12% are going to build new terminals related to uh, wind, wind and energy products, which I get, that's important. Alternative uh, energy sources, uh, I'm cool with that. But it just, it just shows that $700 million doesn't go as far as it used to. And for <laughs> any of these port projects to have any legs and any efficiency um, and, and any true impact to the traditional freight that moves through all of those connectors, um, engaging a uh, public-private partnership um, is, is the way to go. They're doing it in Charleston. We talked about that, Port of Charleston, and there's some things going on in uh, Port of New Orleans that has, uh, or New Orleans, um, that uh, are, are public partners. So anyway, my whole take on this one, Pete, is there's money out there. There's not a whole lot, if you think about it in the big picture, and we need to get some, uh, some private partnerships in there to really make an impact on the infrastructure that most people rely on, because most people don't rely on a marshalling yard to build um, wind energy on the ocean. So Doug, the, um, the sad reality of having worked with politicians for as long as I have, and you know, being, a, being a cockroach in DC for all of these years, is it's not their fault <laughs> that our country is always reacting because that's what politicians do. They react to the will of the public in order to get reelected. They're, they're reacting to what people tell them needs to be done. They're not proactive. They're not strategic in the way that they think because being strategic does not get them reelected. Business people are strategic because we know like a great example of that. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours um, whose name rhymes with Ark Axelby uh, recently. And you know, we were talking about how if you're selling in this business right now and you're selling ocean freight, you're selling air freight, and we all we all see like, you know, where the economy's going, you better be out there right now trying to trying to steal customers because it's like a six-month cycle, it's a five-month cycle. And um you know, your opportunity to get after that market, when that market is going to change, you need to be sowing the seeds and putting the work in now, right? Mm -hmm. Politicians and governments, they don't think that way. And it's, it's really, it's up to business to drive that. So when you talk about these public partnerships with, with, um, with the government, all of the opportunity, you know, all of the all the financial opportunity for certain 
the agenda is in the hands of of the public side of things to get reelected when it's a knee jerk thing, short amount of time, it's in the news. It's up to us to drive it, and nobody wants to hear it. So, um, you know, in the, I always love quoting old songs on the show, but in the words of uh, Denise Williams and Johnny Mathis from their seminal 70s hit, Too Much, Too Little, Too Late, it's over. <laughs> yes, it's over. The chips are down. You know, all our bridges have burned to the ground. Like it, it is, it is, it's too late, Doug, for the government to get engaged. We, they have to first stop being obstructive. Mm. That's number one. The best thing the government can do right now in order to help us with all of these things that we are endlessly talking about is get the hell out of the way. Just get the hell out of the way. Find some way to first say, is our involvement necessary? And is there anything that we are currently doing that is slowing down progress towards making logistics faster, cleaner, safer? Like, is is there anything we're doing now that's doing that? And who should they be asking? The private part of that public-private partnership. Because we're the ones that are thinking 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road, not yep. them. They're thinking about the next election cycle, finding ways to concentrate their power. Yeah, you pulled my string, Doug. And yeah. a ha half of this partnership doesn't give a damn about the other one, except for when they're getting checks written to them and when they show up on the ballot box next Tuesday. And it's just really, it's not a partnership as much as it could be. So yeah. um, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can co-sign on this one as much as I as I really wish somebody would just take a hose to him on the front yard and get him to play nice. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Too much, too um, much coffee, Doug. Too much coffee. I know. Yeah. The tears of your enemies as you drink it down. Tastes sweet. Nice. So, all right. Well, we come to our favorite spot, our favorite time in the show, which is halftime brought to you by Cap Logistics. Um, we wouldn't be here without those guys. So caplogistics.com to, to check them out. But um, I don't know. I always forget when first guy goes first, who does halftime or whatever. Doesn't so, um, yeah, Doesn't I'll tell you what, let, let, let me drop this one here because mine's kind of short and sweet. And I think yours yep. will be more uh, more impactful. Mine just goes old school. I'm not a big horror film guy. And I'll keep this one, but I was thinking <clears throat> the battle royale of, uh, of villains out there and uh, uh, in in, uh, in horror movies. So here's the four that I came up with. We got Pennywise, Freddy Krueger, Mike Myers, Michael Myers, and Jason. I don't even know Jason's last name, but everybody knows who he is. So over the years, right, those have been kind of the, the key players. There's been a whole franchise made out of all of those guys as far as just raking in the money. So the question is, if all four of them got in a fight, um, who would come out on top? So I'm going to keep it short and simple because I'm sure you'll have some comments on this one. And I want to get to your your halftime topic as well. So we're going to go bottom up. So I'm going to keep it short and sweet. There's a tie between third and fourth, third and fourth, which is Jason and Mike Myers, because they're kind of the same character. Right. One's kind of creepy in one way. One's creepy in another way. But. They're silent. Uh, they have to have tools in order to uh, create their destruction. So they're kind of the same person, right? Pennywise would be number two because people just freak out on clowns. He's a little creepy. But really, the granddaddy of them all is, is Freddy Krueger. The guy comes to you in your dreams. There's no way to escape him. 
every single time you put those four up, really any um, uh, uh, horror figure out there you can come up with, Freddy Krueger is going to drop dimes on them. And by far and away, Battle Royale officially won by Freddy Krueger, in my opinion. Well, Doug, you're right, but for a different reason. Because only Freddy Krueger had a theme song by Ronnie James Dio. <laughs> okay. All right. So, with a dream warriors. That's the reason why. Uh, so, yep. um, and aside from that, I hate jump scares, Doug. I hate them. Oh, okay. So, yep. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know about when you, when you had friends in high school, but my friends used to hang around in packs. So we would go to movies together. They like all of us would go to, it was extremely rare that anybody ever went to a movie with just their girlfriend or just their boyfriend. Mm. Like we would just, you know, so I can remember going to these stupid ass eighties movies where some idiot would jump out of a closet with a chainsaw. Like no one heard the chainsaw right before. If you've ever been around a chainsaw, they make noise, you know, or um, whatever. Right. And I hated that stuff, Doug. I hated mm. it deeply, you know, but, but here's the thing. Um, like I was, I was irreparably screwed up as a kid when a babysitter took me to see the Amityville horror with her boyfriend when I, I, I was a kid. Um, I still get freaked out by the exorcist. Um, you know, like religious horror movies terrify me, terrify mm -hmm. me. And um, anything spooky like that, it, it will get to me, but I don't believe in ghosts, Doug. I don't, I don't. Mm -hmm. There are cameras everywhere now. Somebody surely would have gotten some kind of evidence at this point. I just, I patently don't. And everyone around me does. So I'm the asshole when it comes yeah. to this in my life. Um, so the idea of like someone who comes in your dreams and kills you or some supernatural being, the world has enough psychopaths in it that I can buy like Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or, you know, those that I believe, like, I believe that there's some, there's enough sickos in the world that would come and kill you with an ax. Like I buy all that. I 100% buy all that, but dolls that come alive and kill you in your sleep, get out of here. Cool. No. <laughs> all no. right. Well, you just, yeah. you just took Chucky out of the mix too. So that's true. Yeah. No Chucky. Okay. So yeah. my halftime is yeah. a, it's a, it's a, it's a double one here. So first of all, um, greatest Halloween candies. Um, in my opinion, there's, there is only one answer. Okay. First of all, if you're the kind of person that gives raisins at Halloween, you need to just turn your light off at your house and go back to doing whatever other unfun stuff it is that you do that ruins other people's lives because <laughs> you suck as a human being and you need to just stop, stop, just stop. Okay. Nobody wants to come to your house ever for anything. So just stop. Stop with the raisins. That's not what kids want unless they're covered in chocolate. Okay. Unless you're taping a $5 bill to every box of raisins that you give a kid. Don't do it. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, I loved Reese's peanut butter cups. Mm -hmm. They were my favorite. I also loved hundred thousand dollar bars. I loved getting those. Um, they were also they were my second favorite and then almond joys and um, mounds bars. My father who was, um, uh, we get the munchies because as he handed out stuff, he would drink beers and, and smoke the devil's cabbage. He would check my candy when I would bring it back, as would my mother. 
and they would steal things that they, this doesn't look safe, right? So here's what they would take out of my candy. Now, my friends and I would, I think half of West Texas would get hit up by my friends and I, and we would, I would come back with a, with a, um, a pillowcase, right? Just full of shit. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would have, my mom would take all of my junior mints. I don't think I ate a junior mint until I was in high school. So she would take all my junior mints. All my right. mom would take all my bit of honeys, which now as an adult is one of my favorite sweets. And I don't think I ever, all the lifesavers. So my mom would take all those and all the Jolly Ranchers. My mother loved Jolly Ranchers. Today, by the way, would have been her birthday. My mom was born on Halloween. So it was another. My father, that son of a bitch, right? So my father, Butterfingers, would take them all. Anything that he knew I wanted, he would take half of them because he didn't want me eating all of them. So he would take like half of the Reese's peanut butter cups, half of the, all the baby Ruths. My dad would take all the baby Ruths and he would take all of those. And then my father would take all of the Hershey's bars. Oh, my mom would also take all the special darks, all the Hershey's bars. He would take um, any like just plain chocolate and he would hoard them in his car. And he would eat them while he smoked cigarettes doing sales calls. So two, two part question here, Doug. Okay. Yeah. Question number one, greatest Halloween candy in your opinion. And number two, at what age should children stop trick or treating? Mm. Um, at what age? I would say um, 16, right? <clears throat> Cause then you can go out and do some destruction. I, I remember <laughs> I, this is Pete. It's just pathetic. You know, if there's, I, I know there's no children listening to the show, um, but you know, smarts is not part of anybody's equation. When you're 16 years old, we would go out. Oh, do dumb, and dumb things. I'm not even going to go into it. it yeah, would, dumb, uh, dumb. I'll just things. keep it at that. So um, 16 by far, that's the top end and um, candy. Foo, 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 foo. I'm a big fan of Twizzlers. I like Twizzlers, oh, and then the okay. little, the little mini uh, Milky Ways are pretty good. So, oh uh, uh, no, see, mini candies. Families that hand out mini candies are asking to be egged. You you have to give out full size candy bars. Mm, full size candy know. bars. Yeah, mm. uh, and then as far as the age thing goes, I think it has to do with gender. Honestly, like, I mean, boys, you shouldn't be out there running around when you're like 16 and 15. You're just yeah. uh, my parents would never have let me and my friends out. They do. We had parties at that point. Like we would go yeah. to parties, um, but we weren't really at the parties. We were out toilet papering our teacher's houses and egging people's cars and stealing candy from people's little brothers. And it was just terrible. Um, but girls, like the girls were, would go out. And even that, I'm not so sure they should have been doing. Um, but I had a friend yeah. of mine whose mom and dad said at 12, that once you were a teenager, you couldn't go anymore. And I remember being 13, going to his house to pick him up. And he was just sitting there like, I can't, I can't go with you guys. And we're like, your parents suck, man. Like what's going on? Yeah. Like, no, nah, you, you can't go out, man. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't go out. Mm. So yeah, I'll be yeah. interested to see what other people say, because um, when it comes to Halloween candy, there were generally the, the, the sweets guys that like, you know, um, like sugary sweet candies and the chocolate types. It was, mm -hmm. you know, and there was always the one dentist in your neighborhood that handed out, uh, 
they either handed out toothbrushes or they give out five times more candy to keep the business going. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. Or little things of floss. We got a couple of those. Awesome duck was the people that gave out like the free frosties at Wendy's or they gave out the, um, the free ice cream cone at McDonald's. I love that. That was the best. Gave me an excuse to go get a happy meal when I was a kid. Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. All right. So we are on to, um, I think I should go. I'll go. And then you can find me or what? Is it it's you? me because because you uh, you opened up. Fire away. Yep. So uh, we we've been talking a lot about the Great Correction, the Great Correction, the Great Correction, and you you have conversations these days with people on the street. Um, so yesterday I'm on the couch talking to Amy, and she's like, "Wow, uh, don't you follow this Doctor Doom guy?" I'm like, "The cartoon character or Doctor Noriel Rubini?" And she's like, "Guy." Oh, nerd and she said noriel rubini and i said yeah i do actually and she still called me a nerd but uh noriel rubini has a new book out where he talks about these mega threats um and the one of the biggest ones of course is about supply chains and um we've been waiting 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 and, and I, I still contend that you're, you're going to see the big drop-off happen at some point after lunar new year but if you talk to anybody right now who is involved in supply chain particularly our world logistics, you're beginning to see the rates just barf on themselves and volumes barf on themselves. There are major freight forwarders who are out in um, the streets right now dealing with the fact that their volumes are down 30%, 40%, some of them 50% over the same time last year. So that is just how much lower volumes are coming into North America right now. And it's not just West Coast volumes, it's East Coast as well. What's shocking though, Doug, is that we're still seeing higher imports. So imports are up, but the volumes that these NVOCCs are seeing are down. Their speculative buy for 2023, 24 calendar years are down and they're they're just not seeing the volumes they saw before. I don't know how they're going to be able to maintain the shareholder expectations that they were seeing before. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to be able to maintain these uh, employee, employee levels. So mm-hmm. here, here's where I think this is all leading. Um, layoffs. Any major freight forwarding company that has just been riding the wave of massive, massive profits is probably going to see some significant layoffs at some point in 2023. Let's just be honest. Uh, there's just not the kind of business that was there to be able to support this stuff. Second of all, the days of making two, three, four, five thousand dollars a container are done. We're going to be back to making a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred, depending on the route. And then third, the um, unfortunately, when you have all the freight going to the East Coast. It gives management more power on the West Coast. So you're going to continue to see those rates plummet on the West Coast. And that's just going to drive more rates down and down and down. And with the uh, European economy continuing to flutter, this has nothing but bad news for everyone. Add to that fact that the Chinese economy continues to just be a song of woe, buddy. It's going to be a bad year, 23, 24, to be somebody who's been riding the wave and not working hard. I think that, as I said in the LinkedIn post, the rookies are about to find out just how tough this business can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 110% agree. <clears throat> when you kicked this over to me a few minutes ago, generalists are going to get destroyed. So if you say, hey, um, 
going to bid for a company that has 500 or 1,000 containers coming in more, it's just going to be lined up. You know, you and I come from a sales perspective background. <clears throat> There's going to be lined up and they're going to just yeah. cherry pick and it's not worth it. So I, when I looked at that, companies that specialize, whether that's uh, out-of-gauge cargo, specific to, to commodities, and things that may not be so hypersensitive to uh, you know, a commodity-based market, I think those are the companies that are going to be uh, doing better than others. And then if you can be hyper-focused, you know, I think anybody in some business school comes out there. When push comes to shove and the, and, uh, the economy's a little, uh, a little shaky or a lot shaky like we're in, laser focused on your core competency to get back and when you're laser focused on a core competency you don't need peripheral people or or services and solutions out there so i think you're seeing that with uh some of what fedex was doing whenever they had their earnings come out so hyper focused companies that understand that and if you specialize in a specific type of industry i think you're going to be okay but if you're uh, assuming like you said you're going to make a thousand dollars a container on a, a company that's bringing in 500 a thousand a year long gone those days yeah. are long gone you know doug it was uh it was easy to be sloppy and still get rich these past couple of years mm-hmm. and that's over it's over there are people put up with a lot of of shenanigans because they needed they needed help and now that they're back in the position where the buyer has the power i think that that sloppiness just is it's not it's not going to be put up with it's not be put up mm-hmm. by the consumer it's not going to be put up by the employer either. So there's going to be a lot of employers who are going to have higher expectations of their employees to put out a more quality product. And I think, um, I don't think I know that a lot of this technology that was sort of out there that had to do with efficiency, I think is going to be brought in. And I also believe that we're, we're, we're looking at maybe another, another five years of people getting comfortable with implementing technology, getting comfortable with thinking more broadly on how to use data to be more effective. And this is going to be another interesting era of being in this business where we're going to take the lessons that we learned on how to make more uh, more stable and more structured supply chains and depend on partners to get us there. But I think you're going to see that supply chain consumers, our customers, our clients are going to take more responsibility and they're they're going to say, I'm not going to find myself over-dependent on a supplier ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good points. All right. Well, we have uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. And we haven't talked about this, Pete, in, in a while, is the, the rail and, and the railroad. So a couple of weeks ago, there was a pending strike, and it made national news. And, and Biden and Congress came in and waved their wand and said everything has a tentative agreement. Well, lo and behold, um, some of those unions out there are starting to disagree and vote down some of the um, uh, proposals. So our audience may not know that there's actually 12 unions that are representing the quote unquote rail industry. Right. So all of them uh, need to ratify uh, the proposals. And you're seeing little bits and pieces because there's 120 ish thousand employees in the rail industry that they're referring to in the unionized side. Um, <clears throat> divide that by 12. You get a lot of smaller kind of regional and specialized uh, uh, unions out there. And uh, and two recently have said, no, thank you. Um, we don't like what you've presented. Um so I think that's going to come back up 
to uh, be a hot topic. So obviously the rail is the backbone of the supply chain and, and, the, uh, and the rail transportation here, right? LTL uses it, full truckload uses it, parcel, um, bulk commodities, energy, uh, so much moves on the rail that uh, the general public doesn't really understand. Um, so it's gonna come back into, um, into the uh, headlines. But the thing here is that it, the rules apply differently with the uh, Railway Labor Act, and I'm not gonna get into the weeds on that one. Um, I, I know enough to be dangerous. But push comes to sh shove with the Railway Labor Act, you know, Congress has the authority to prevent a strike. And whether they kick up the, the cooling off period where you cannot strike during a cooling off period. So let's extend the cooling off period. Oh, it's, it's about to end. We're not going to change anything but extend the cooling off period so you can't strike. There's other rules in there that says you can't strike unless Congress has been in session for a minimum of five days and all these nuances. So I guess my whole point in this, Pete, is that it's not behind us going to gain a lot of momentum, especially post-election here in a week. Um, uh, but ultimately, I don't think they'll go on strike because Congress will step in. They just can't afford it. It's too big to fail. And uh, Congress will use the benefits of the Railway Labor Act and uh, prevent anything catastrophic from happening. So that's my take on the rail. You know, Doug, you've, uh, you've been a very good cheerleader, um, marketer, on this show of rail, um, it, it is a under, it's, it's an undermarketed, underappreciated, an extremely important foundation of how we deal with the supply chain globally, not just in this country globally, but in this country in particular, it is a linchpin of what has probably saved us through the course of the pandemic, and uh, particularly in the supply chain crisis. And it's shown again and again and again its value. And now, as you've also pointed out over and over again, as we try to find more environmentally friendly ways of dealing and managing with transportation in this country, it's just it's gotten a new life. So you you see how all of these people are learning to depend on the rail, and rail workers are never going to have a better time than right now to negotiate what mm -hmm. they want. And some of the things that they're asking for are honestly, they're not that, they're, they're not that ridiculous. You know, they, they want right. real sick time. They want real time off. Um, and I don't think the average American consumer, if, if you and I, Doug, were to, you know, global trade this week on the spot, go to a, um, you know, go to a, go to a, a mall somewhere in Colorado or somewhere in New England and, and ask a couple hundred people, talk to us about how you feel about the strike, the pending strikes on the West Coast and ports and with the rail. We might get a small fraction of people who, who are well read on the topic, but I think it would be extremely rare. And then if we were to sit down with those same people, this is an incredibly unlikely scenario that anybody would ever make time for this. But if we were to sit down with them and give them a three-minute primer on why it is critical that the rail strike does not happen, I think they would be terrified. Mm -hmm. If we explain to them, your, your fruits and vegetables, the prices of them are going to go through the roof. All of the auto parts so much of the livestock that you see across the country is going to become unattainably expensive. Coal, oil. We don't have pipelines because of all kinds of political stuff. Guess how a lot of that stuff moves? I don't know how to break it to you. Mm -hmm. You know, 
I, I, you know, like there's there's a lot of things that people don't realize move on the rail, and be, and if that goes away, now it's got to move over land. Mm-hmm. What's that mean for congestion? What's that mean for all these other things? You're taking away one of the stool, one of the legs of the stool. So we're fortunate in that people take it for granted. We're very, very unfortunate that people take it for granted because they don't understand how important it is. If we were to say there's going to be an air traffic controller strike again, everybody would understand how bad that that would be. I would say, Doug, that that this is equally as important, equally as important. And it would actually make a bigger deal because we're just coming out of the greatest supply chain chaos that any of us have seen in our lifetime. And this would bring us right back there if it were to happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're right. Congress isn't going to let that happen. They're going to use every type of trickery they can, legislative and otherwise, to make sure that it doesn't. Um, and this is a place where the White House needs to step in and do something about it. Yeah, for sure. Good points. Good points. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week's breakneck Halloween episode. I shouldn't say Halloween. I forgot that it's spooky season of global trade this week uh, with my good friend, Doug Draper and with Keenan back in the booth, making it happen, but we can't make it happen without our good friends at cap logistics to learn more about them. Do visit them on their website at caplogistics.com. And uh, we do read your comments. We do pay attention to you when you send us your, instant messages on LinkedIn and every other place. Um, And thank you for that. So if you have ideas you'd like us to discuss or questions, please do hit us up. If you'd like for me to spend more time making fun of Keen and I, I do hear those requests as well. And I'm happy to do that (laughs) as well. Um, Big announcement for the show next week. So do tune in. I will be making an announcement about where I'm working now. Um, starting on November 1st, I do have a new job. So very excited to be talking about that. And I'll be dropping that announcement next week on the show. Um, and I guess that'll do it for this week on Global Trade This Week. Doug, as always, thank you for carrying the show. Couldn't yeah. do it without you, buddy. Thank you, Keenan. Hey, we'll see you all again that. next week on Global Trade This Week. All right. Thanks, Pete. See you, buddy.